Hi everybody, and welcome to this, the ARC360 podcast, brought to you in association with corporate partners BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response, and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners, the Green Part Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group. On this occasion, we catch up with Richard Ketley, who is head of the Repair Network at Innovation Group Limited, who gives us a great insight into his background uh, and his career thus far within the industry, shares his observations of the repair market coming into 2020, and of course how he uh, envisages the industry will be different moving ahead in light of the pandemic situation. He also shares with us his wish list for every claim or case that is managed, and gives out a great little message to the repair network and the wider industry at the moment. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this podcast. Great to have you join us today, Richard. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Um, appreciate you're a, a busy man like the rest of the world right now. But um, could you just give us a little bit of background into uh, about yourself um, and your relationship with the industry? Yes, certainly. Um, thanks for asking me to take part. So a brief background then. I guess like a lot of people in this industry, I left school, ended up working in a body shop. I don't think it was the desired career path. I don't think it was a choice, as in that's what I definitely wanted to do. I think I just kind of gravitated towards it because, you know, I had an interest in cars and that's what a lot of us back in the 80s seemed to do. From school, joined a body shop and did my usual standard apprenticeship ship way back then i had as a result that various roles in the body shop over the years probably 15 20 years worth of experience inside body shops and then an opportunity arose to join corinthian insurance as a desktop engineer which later went on to become hsbc insurance so i think i spent six or seven years with them working on all of their fault claims and third party claims and then had a brief secondment spell in new zealand working for the earthquake commission back in 2011 so as part of a project of hsbc i seconded to help settle earthquake claims mm-hmm. um obviously as a result of the earthquakes that ravaged christchurch um, and i was i spent time in wellington just trying to work with the earthquake commission on processing and, and settling as many property claims as we possibly could so that was that was quite an exciting time it's quite a change to motor and the motor industry and the UK industry in general. I think over in New Zealand, it's obviously a completely different industry model to what we see in the UK. And then on my return to the UK, I joined Gemini Vehicle Solutions, part of the Andy and Tim Hopkins empire. And I worked there running their engineering team at their third-party intervention claims centre until Innovation Group bought it way back in... Oh, it feels like 2014 now, I think. And I moved over into Innovation Group when they purchased Gemini Vehicle Solutions. And being into like the engineering team and running the engineering team, I was asked by Chris Ashworth, who was the MD at, at Innovation Group at the time, to move across and help with the restructuring of the whole network piece inside Innovation Group. We'd gone through a series of acquisitions, and I think with the Gemini network and the Crushworth network and the, and the Motorcare network, changes there in, into like understanding what we were going to do, how we were going to move forward. And so, yeah, I... I helped with the transformation of, of those three networks. My initial role was network development manager, so I was working alongside our relationship manager. I wasn't involved in the day-to-day network side of things. The, the development role was 
basically looking at repair capabilities, capacity, development, performance management, relationship management, and then obviously where we had a need to strengthen the network, whether it was a specific repair capability or, you know, through new wins, we, we had extra capacity needs to add repairers. My role was to approach repairers, talk to them about innovation group and the offering and onboard them, you know, exchange all the contracts, bring them on board into the world of innovation group. Again, with new wins, that slowly diversified into running a whole region. So I became a regional network manager. And then, yeah, over the last couple of years, we've restructured again. Kate Goodwin came in as engineering and network director. And working alongside Kate, I stepped up into the role of head of network. So now I oversee the whole network program, as well as our repair audit program, and work very closely alongside Kate and our engineering manager, and just making sure that, you know, we live and breathe our ethos uh, of, of how we want to run our network. So in a very short, brief nutshell, I think that sums up about 30 years of my work. <laughs> Sounds like you've certainly packed um, packed some bits in there, and the, the earthquake... Uh... The earthquake piece is certainly a bit left field, but as you say, quite quite different and quite uh, quite an experience, I'm sure. Oh, it was a fantastic experience. It was heartbreaking to see the level of damage that was done to people's homes. And actually being seconded to and working for the Earthquake Commission, we were quite, I won't say lucky or privileged, but we were in a position where we could actually fly into Christchurch and we could actually visit parts of Christchurch that were fenced off to the general public because of the safety issues. Right. And yeah, it, it was surreal driving down a road where you'd pass four houses on the left that were completely untouched and a fifth house was demolished. And yeah, because of the way the earthquake happened and because it was quite shallow and because of the geological makeup of that whole plane around it was amazing you you could, you could actually feel yourself riding over the ripples in the, in the tarmac on the roads where the whole ground had just twisted you know we saw buildings demolished areas of the ground had just dropped you know three or four meters below normal level and actually yeah dealing with the general public the people whose houses have been devastated and lives have been devastated and it's hard to understand the effects of an earthquake but yeah going through claims and understanding the kind of damage it does and how it devastates people's daily lives Mm. it it was a real eye-opener um but really really rewarding and quite strange you know we work in the uk in an industry where the general consumer expects a response, a resolution, an action in hours, days, weeks. Some of these people have been sitting for six months waiting to get resolution of their claim. And, you know, I remember my first call to uh, a policy holder with a, a little bit of trepidation thinking, nobody's spoken to this person for three months. Wow. Um, am I going to get all the aggravation and all their frustration painted on me? Uh, and it was quite amazing because the very first question, the very first thing response that I got was, I'm so pleased that you called me. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to call me. And yeah, general shock that we'd flown in from the UK to, to help sort out their claims. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were really thankful that we were all coming together to just try and help them get over this period. And you've obviously, you know, the innovation group itself, you, you've touched upon it there in, in your previous responses, been through a, a fair few changes over the years and your role has changed. You know, people are familiar uh, with the innovation group name within the industry, but can you just tell us a little bit more about about the wider business and then more of an insight into where the motor side of things sits currently? Uh, yeah, definitely. Some people, as you say, are very familiar with the IG name within the motor industry. I think what a lot of 
people don't realise are actually a global business. You know, we're trading in North America, Europe, the UK, South Africa and Australia, as well as a few little satellite offices elsewhere. We've got three or 4,000 staff worldwide. There are kind of three strands or three arms of the business. We have a technology business, a property claims business, as well as the motor business, uh, and that's pretty replicated globally. You know, in some of the markets in Europe, we are the key player because obviously European markets are very different to UK. There's a lot more emphasis in the U- in in Germany, for instance, on dealership networks rather than individual privately owned businesses, privately owned body shops. Our property side, very very similar to the motor, in that we we all offer standalone, full end to end claims management services. You know, we we'll do everything from from ethanol liability decisions, all the various different checks deployments to repairers etc obviously in the case of property it's full-on claims management and all sorts of property claims so everything from storm damage to third party that that damage property you know where the odd car crashes into a house or a wall we've got a whole subsidence division and a drainage division i think we've even got our own laboratories that that can sample soil and water and, and, and analyze you know, what's going on in and around the property. That team oversee a whole network of supply chains. So we have many, many building contractors, surveyors, architects, contractors. And again, the property side do what we do in Mosul, which is to oversee that whole claim and, and manage that repair right through from, as I said, first, first notification loss, right through to settlements and resolution. And yeah, going on to motor in the uk specifically we're operating primarily from two locations we have an office in whiteley which is just outside southampton and another one up in burnley in uh, in the north both of them again fully engaged in full end-to-end motor claims both of them operate ethanol sensors which are 24 7 365 we manage the full spectrum motor claims all sorts of claims for a diverse book of clients and again, it's that whole ethanol through to deployment, progression, management of the claim. We have our own in-house engineering team. So cost management is a big piece that we manage and perform for many of our clients. And, you know, cost management is important and it's important to get over that it's it's not about reducing costs, getting costs down. It's about working with the repairers to get the right repair. It's not all the old 1980s, 1990s adage of got to make a saving, knock an hour off. We work closely with our network to ensure that we, we get the right repair into the right repairer with the right outcome for the customer. And then, yeah, you know, from a network, we've got a network that's, you know, over 300 repairers based across the whole of the UK. And we've got a separate commercial vehicle repair network for dealing with everything over and above three and a half tons and upwards and all the weird and wacky commercial vehicles that we see there and horse boxes and motorhomes and coaches. And I oversee a team a field team and an office-based team uh, and the office-based team their role is primarily to be the day-to-day guys that support the repair network any questions any queries any problems my team are there to pick up the phone answer the phone deal with them get them resolved everything we do is designed around supporting our repair network to carry out their day-to-day business without them struggling you know it's important to me that they know that they've got someone they can turn to and speak to get an answer get a resolution in place so they can carry on get the repair done and you know make sure we get them paid because that is really important absolutely yeah and we've uh, we've obviously uh, featured a 
a couple of innovation group representatives on the webinars over the over the previous weeks that we've done and you know the conversation has very much been around that and i think that's um you know been truly uh, valued from those yes. tuning in and from your repair network really that um, you know kind of this cash cash flow situation especially as you say where we are at the mo- current moment but we'll uh, We'll touch upon that a little bit more very shortly. We, we've we sort of used six years at Innovation Group now, I, I believe it is for yourself, and you've worked through those various roles, and, and we've spoken a little bit about your role now. But just tell us a bit, little bit more about kind of, um, if you like, the, the day-to-day of Richard Ketley. So general terms day-to-day, pre-COVID, my role was very much to support Kate Goodwin, who's director, as I mentioned earlier, and work with her on our overall strategy and working alongside our clients to understand what our clients needed and ensuring that we had a network that could deliver on that and obviously working alongside the team and you know you mentioned earlier that you had Jordan on the call earlier so Jordan's very much field based and the repairers speak to him an awful lot he he has a lot of time with them in sort of like the relationship management side of things so I oversee that whole team and just, you know, making sure that they're okay, we do their training, we do their ongoing developments. I also oversee the whole audit part of our business. So the network team has a whole separate section of field-based auditors. Their role is to go out and obviously audit the network because there's a requirement for most insurers and clients now to ensure that, you know, the network are the very best caliber. We've got the very best repairers and, you know, I am really, really lucky in the repairers that I've got on, on, on our network that we've got some of the biggest and best out there. And not only multi-site operators, we've obviously got a lot of the big guys who are multi-site operators, but some fantastic individually owned body shops, which, you know, really do a fantastic job for us. I'm kind of the face for network, so Jordan and I will do a lot of the networking events. We will be out visiting repairers. We do a lot of the performance management, so we will sit with repairers and talk through service levels and how to make sure they're hitting them. Our overall aim is not to be aggressive, it's not to go into repair and tell them how to run their business. It's to provide support so they can meet the needs that we need to meet. Normally, I would be doing a lot of driving as I go backwards and forwards between the different offices or meeting repairers or supply chain meetings. And then COVID came and the world changed slightly. I think for the last three months, I've been home based, sitting behind the desk, just supporting the repair network as best as I possibly can through through what's been that many words that have been banded around it over the last six months. Unprecedented, amazing, trying period day-to-day role is very varied and can be anywhere in the country prior covid just basically trying to make sure that we offer the best network support we can to a really impressive network of repairs so with your relationship with your repairers and being so close to that side of things what would have been your general observations of the repair market coming into 2020 pre-pandemic you know what did you see 2020 how was it going to pan out for for the repair community if you like that's a really interesting question. I guess over the last few years, the industry has changed slightly. I think we've seen a huge amount of consolidation. I think we've seen some of the bigger repair groups obviously buying up other small repair groups and individual sites. I think skills gap and a lack of new people coming into the repair industry and particularly young people coming to the repair industry has definitely been a challenge that I think the whole industry was struggling with prior to 
this pandemic. Also, Rays were doing some great work. I know some of my other repairers were running their own academies and their own training. And I think it was beginning to get traction, which is is what it desperately needed. And I think a challenge for an industry as a whole, not just repairers, but the whole collision repair industry, is that it's really difficult for us to sell the industry to people and show how diverse it can be and, and, and the very many different career paths that we have available. I think the industry is beginning to meet that challenge and I think some of the players within the industry are doing great work. So if you look at the Body Shop magazine, they are running their 30 under 30, try and highlight up and coming young talents. And I'll be honest, I mentioned that purely because I've just had two of my team nominated as winners. Absolutely incredibly proud to have two guys on my team recognised by the industry in general for being up-and-coming talents. That's, that's a fantastic achievement for them and for us as a business to invest that time in, in them, in their career, to you know try and develop a career path for them. I think historically that there have always been issues over the very many service levels that are out there that work providers seem to insist repairers follow and abide by in many cases there's a lot of micromanagement of the general repair and i don't think there needs to be i think the message gets lost about what we're actually here to do which is to repair cars for a member of the general public and for many of them sometimes it's the first crash they've had in a long time it's quite bewildering for them and i think we do all seem to have a lot of terminology and technology and things that go over people's head especially the general public and we're very bad at selling ourselves and explaining what a great industry it is. We are very, very poor at, at telling the general public and, and the wider world just how great some of these repairers are and the technical skills and expertise and equipment and technology that they have to repair vehicles. You know, a lot of people still think it's a, an aerosol spray can that we paint their cars with. I don't think they've got any idea of the levels of skill, technology equipment that the repairers invest in to put the vehicles back into what sometimes is better than a factory finish so yeah i think pre pre-pandemic there were a lot of challenges that we were all kind of aware of and were kind of beginning to get surfaced and yeah i think i attended your first arc 360 webinar way back gosh was in november uh, in stadium yep the first one yep november uh, 2019 that's right yeah Yes, I remember the fire alarm and we all had to go out halfway through. <laughs> um, I think that that was a great thing to do, to start bringing people together, to start talking about how we can promote the industry, how we can all work together to make it better. Lots of challenges, but I think we are aware of them. The future will be how we actually make those changes. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I think there was a, there certainly seemed to be a kind of uh, an increasing air of positivity around the industry and by that I think you know as you say there was probably an awareness more of a arguably a, a more mature approach to communication and and dialogue collaboration between people and again I think you know arguably that's kind of been accelerated in in recent uh, recent months as well although you know obviously it's not uh, we're not kind of on the same trajectory at the moment but um, but it's been really interesting right. to see how things have mapped out in recent times but yeah, I think that's a, that's a key point you just raised, actually, that there is a lot of, or there was, still is actually, a lot of positivity within the industry. You know, there are a lot of repairers out there who are committed and it's positive. They're looking at growing and expanding their businesses. Or certainly with a pre-pandemic, obviously. So yeah, it, it, it is a vibrant 
industry there are a lot of great players and industry colleagues that you know really want to see this develop and yeah i think the last two years have shown that we're starting to move away from that old-fashioned back of a shed you know a lot of people's perception of, of what a body shop is it is what they see on the soap operas which are you know little under the arches garages and i think there's a lot of good stuff going on by a lot of key people in the industry at really raising the profile yeah and, and making people understand what a skilled industry is we're actually in. Absolutely agree. So we're at the midway point and a great conversation we're having with Richard from Innovation Group. Some great little sound bites there and uh, some really interesting stories that are being told. So a huge thank you to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response, and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners, the Green Parts Specialists, Indasa, and the Innovation Group. Enjoy the second half of the podcast. As you say, you know, there's um, there's no avoiding the fact that we've hit, and this is going to be a, a true understatement, but a bit of a blip in recent months with obviously the, the pandemic situation and the fact that that's kind of, you know, flipped 2020 on its head and, you know, people have thrown away a multitude of business plans by now and keep going of going back to the drawing board so you know how has that sort of impacted you've already touched upon it previously in terms of how the day-to-day role has, has changed but you know what's been your experience f- from your side from innovation group uh and and how do you sort of envisage you know the the, the coming months or the industry as we as we move ahead there will definitely be change definitely be change i mean initially from day one when we went into the lockdown, which I think was 24th of March, there was a lot of confused repairers. You know, a lot of repairers calling me, speaking to me, a lot of questions being asked about what is an essential business? How, how where do body shops sit in that? The term, repair, you know, vehicle repairers was being banded around, but what did that mean for body shops? Was it just service stations, MOT stations that could stay open? So I think very early days, I, had lots of calls, was receiving lots of calls from repairers, you know, understanding whether they should stay open, what would happen if they closed. And it was very fast moving. You know, things were changing literally hourly in the first few days. Repairers, you know, closing, having to make some really difficult choices as well about closing. A lot of repairers, you know, really worried about what would happen if they did close, what would happen to volumes, what would happen to their place on the network. So, you know, we had to make sure that um, every repair was reassured. Um, we made it really, really clear to repairers that we supported their decision. It was theirs to make. It wasn't for us to dictate what they did. They had to do what was right for their business, for their staff, for their own families. You know, let's not forget this is a contagious disease and people have sadly been dying from it. A lot of these repairers had to think about their own families and, and staying open. What would that mean for elderly parents and elderly relatives or or young children so we made it very clear as a business from day one that we fully supported the repairers it was their choice we made a very early decision and we and we communicated this to the whole network that any site that took that decision to close that was fine as soon as they reopened we'd make sure they were reinstated we would switch on all their volumes again we would make sure that whatever volume we had at that time they had it because a lot of these repairers they needed that volume to continue to trade to survive so i think certainly for 
the last week in March and most of April, a lot of my time was just spent talking to repairers, reassuring them, um, making sure that they were absolutely fully supported, understanding what they were doing with their businesses as well. You know, we had a lot of repairers who were operational, but it was understanding what that meant for them. You know, a lot of people had staff that they took the opportunities to furlough, so they weren't or couldn't deal with as many claims as they normally would. Now, as it happened, we all know claim levels dropped anyway, but it's important to understand from the network point of view how their business has been affected so we could support them, make sure we get the, the, the repairs to them that they could cope with. We talk about service levels. Those were just out of the window straight away. It was literally about ensuring the repairers were there, that we had the work for them and that they could continue to trade. There was an awful lot of planning and replanning and reporting back into our clients. We made very definite calls with all our clients. Um, I think Kate at one stage was literally doing daily calls with all of our insurance clients to make sure that they fully understood what was going out there in the industry, what challenges the repairers had, keeping them informed so they could, you know, set expectations within their own businesses and with their own policyholders. You know, huge challenges over sanitation and what that sanitation needed to look like, and how to protect their staff as well as customers. You know, obviously there's always, a, from an insurance point of view, there's always a, a need to ensure that their own customers are kept safe and that cars are sanitised. But, you know, at the same time, we're asking repairers to pick up a vehicle of unknown origin from a policyholder's home. It was important that, you know, we had the, the checks and the, and the balances in place and the protocols in place to ensure that, you know, things were being sanitised and sanitised properly when they arrived on site. Obviously, that was a whole new level of challenge for repairers. It was courtesy cars and customers' cars that were having to be sanitised. There was, there was cost there. There were delays, there was inefficiency. So it really was a challenging period for the repairers. And, and, and the one thing that we made sure that we did as a network was making sure that we were there just to support them, making sure that our phone line stayed open, our emails were being answered, calls were being returned. And then I guess over the last few months, what I've started to do is put in a whole series of conference calls. So during this whole pandemic period, I've tried to keep communication open. We've shared information and advice with repairers. We've done monthly newsletters, emails, mail shots, anything that we've picked up from other areas of the industry that we thought we could use or share with the network. Um, you know, there were various people. I think Sherwin Williams came up with a whole cost um, spreadsheet so we, we, we got hold of that and made sure that it was available to all the repairers and taught them through what it did, how it worked. So I think as we all understand, cost is really key right now. A lot of repairers lost a huge amount of volume, which equals a huge amount of income very, very quickly. It was really important for us to spend time with the repairers and understand how that was going to affect them, what they were doing. Sometimes just having a chat, just literally having a chat and allowing a repairer to blow a bit of steam off. One thing I learned during this is that sometimes repairers can get a little bit blinkered and not in a nasty way, but they clearly concentrate on their own business. Their, their whole world is their own business. Um, so I had a lot of calls about repairers, you know, really worried about volumes and, and was it just them, was it just their area and being managing a network, a nationwide network. And I was really able to give, you know, a whole view of the whole UK and that brought out a lot of reassurance to a lot of repairers. But it wasn't just them in, in their little town or area. It was everybody. They were all in it together. 
everyone was facing the same challenges. Yeah, and I think um, that's definitely one of the um, one of the pieces of feedback we certainly recurring on the webinars was was the fact that it was kind of it was just keeping people informed, which I think people were so grateful for. And as you say, you know, every uh, lots of the times, you know, it feels a very lonely place to be out there, um, and it's especially during times like this. Um, but actually, I think the one thing that you know resonated with people was you know the the sort of increase in communication perhaps and that was taking place and the fact that you know it's uh, it wasn't comforting comforting's the wrong word to use but it was an awareness that they weren't the only ones um faced with with the challenges that that presented themselves definitely and i know so like as i got into the covid piece and we were doing a lot of planning and a lot of just trying to understand where we were going and making sure that that, that you know we my team was supporting repairs i know that sometimes i probably lost visibility to my repairers. They were speaking to Liam and Jordan far more than they were to me. So I think over the last six weeks, I've started to put a lot of one-to-one video conferences in with repairers, because obviously I can't travel any longer and, and, and visit their sites. And, and to be honest, now it's opening up a little bit more and people can get out and about. I don't think it's right to turn up at repairers yet. They've got too much on their own plate and you know they've got all this social distancing that they need to abide uh, abide by they don't need me turning up so been trying to put 30 minute video calls one-to-one video calls in with businesses no agenda it's just literally a chance for them to join me on the video speak to me face to face share a joke if we can reassure them let them know what's going on what we're doing what we're trying to do feedback is that it's great sometimes just to have that to know that there's someone there that they can turn to someone they can speak to so yeah that's basically what it's been like post pandemic it's changed on a daily basis i think i spend longer at a desk now than i ever have in the last five years it's a very strange new world it's changing i think we've all got changes to face moving forward because it's not going to be back to normal overnight is it I think that's, you know, we've all learned that over the coming weeks and months. And anyone who's been watching the various webinars will know everyone's been watching numbers slowly increase. It didn't bounce back as, as a lot of people perhaps thought and hoped it would. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And I think we've, we still seem to be in that sort of general consensus of we're somewhere around, I think the last webinar we hosted, we were talking around about a sort of 65, 70% mark in terms of volumes, if my memory serves me correct. And Q4, I think, you know, most people had a, a watchful eye on if it got back to 80%, then um, then that would be a pretty good place to be. So um, again, we will, um, you know, the conversations will continue on that as the, uh, the webinars return in September. Moving away, from the pandemic-related thoughts, what does, and it's a very broad question, but specific obviously to, to motor and let's say a, a single claim, but what does success look like to to the innovation group or, or you in your role specifically? Me in my role specifically? Yeah. Okay, so we we have a, a, a vision statement, a mission statement. It's something that we developed in collaboration with our repair representative board and it's everything that i and my team try to do everything we do is constantly looking to live and breathe that vision statements we haven't got it right yet we know we've got work to do the repairers that we talk to and explain what we're doing and our clients understand what we are trying to do in the direction that we are moving in and i think for me 
a success, success for me and my team and for Innovation Group, will to be in a position where we finalise those changes and we put in place all the processes to, to deliver on that on that statement, on that key ethos of, of what my team stand for and what we want to achieve in the industry. Our mission statement is to manage a network, which is, is based on you know really strong relationships, really simple processes and profitable repairs. And I think that is key and fundamental for our entire network. It is strong relationships. We need a supply chain. We have a great set of repairers across the whole UK. We have really great relationships with them. As I said, we do a lot of communication, a lot of emails. Just going back to the recent win that Jordan and Liam had when they were announced as winners for the 30 under 30, the amount of emails that we had coming in from all across the network just amazing you know real heartfelt congratulations you know the guys are out there they're field based or they were prior to this you know we tend to try and get out and spend time with repairers you know we make sure that we 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 talk to the staff not just the owners as well get out into the workshop understand the challenges that they face simple processes far too much interference in the life of a claim so how can we reduce touches how can we make everything more simple for a repairer to do what he needs to do, which is effectively repair a car. At the same time, profitability is a dirty word. Every area of every industry in the world aims to make money on what they're doing. Why should the repair industry be any different? Why should repairers not be able to make a profit on the work that they undertake? That's basically our ethos, and that's what we're working towards. And, you know, we have some challenges. Any business will have a challenge when it tries to live to a mission statement and deliver on it but for me success would be to lead a great network have repairers understand we are there to support them and to work with them and not to manage and dictate and bully that network um, and all work together to make some money absolutely it all makes sense a strong network strong business strong supply chain it you know it all, it all pieces together doesn't it and uh, and leads to to success and good service and and so linked with linked with that what would be you know is it almost kind of a, a wish list for for every claim or case that you manage you know whether that be a communication point whether that be you know you literally hand off a claim and, and the repairer does does the rest and takes care of the customer side of things is there a a sort of wish list that you, you you have yes and it's probably not a wish list as such I, I can't say i've got a list of a dozen different things but a lot of what you've just said i i, I think for us to manage you know these claims the, the wish list as you call it for managing every claim would be to get a successful conclusion for all parties i do think we need fewer touch points in a claim within a claim cycle certainly less intervention Work providers, insurance companies do have a tendency to micromanage at times every level of every aspect of the claim, from ethanol and how quick you do ethanol and how quick you answer your phone calls to how quick you get vehicles on site, how quick you do estimates, all the old service levels that I think are just embedded across the whole network, the whole industry. Ultimately, it needs to be a great customer journey. But that, that's a, a buzzword that everybody uses um, as a catch-all, and I think that's wrong. I think a great customer journey for me is is actually a customer journey that's defined by the customer to suit their needs, and it's delivered in conjunction with the repair partner. If a policyholder wants a car picked up in a week's time and repaired, then so be it. That's what we need to do. Those would be my my key wish points. You know, <laughs> let's try and 
take out the intervention. Let's try and allow our repair partners to do what they do so well, which is actually engage with the customer, understand what their actual needs were, not what we think they are or what the policy booklet says, but what do they actually want? How can we achieve that? And how do we get that successful conclusion of a very happy customer with their car returned, repaired, and they're all happy? Great message there. Good way to think about things. And again, I think it's, you know, kind of a message that's reverberated around the industry for, for some time now. And uh, let's uh, let's hope we're sort of putting in the, the right steps to for everyone to get there, really. Certainly, it will certainly be a challenge, but, you know, if anything that we've learned through COVID, we need to change, we need to adapt. So, you know, the challenge is out there and that's something I want to try and drive. That's something innovation group want to try and drive. So we've got to balance the needs of all parties, obviously. That's the key thing we're looking into. Just to round out the interview, really. So what would what would your message be to your network or all the wider industry right now? I will give you a phrase. I'm going to attribute this to Kate Goodwin because it's hers and I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm that clever. We can no longer look backwards to define our future direction. How we operated pre-COVID is history now. Look to the future. You know, fundamentally, society's changed because of this pandemic. A lot of people are still cautious about social interaction. I think we are going to see a, a massive change in working habits and social habits. You know, if you think about pubs have reopened, gyms have reopened, but actually if you go past them, they're very quiet. They're limited in the amount of people that are actually out there because of social distancing. And this isn't over yet. We are beginning to open up again. The economy is beginning to get going again, but we've got many, many challenges. I am aware of, you know, my role as head of network. I have to keep an eye on everything that's going on across the country. So I'm aware of the local lockdowns that we have going on in areas in and around Greater Manchester. I think they've just started to open up some of the, the local restrictions in Leicester. There are other hotspots across the UK. So I think we've got to be adaptable. I think my message to my repairers is review your operation, review your structure, look at and redevelop all your processes, review your processes, probably time to look at a different business model because there will be reduced volumes for a while. You may be having to look at a smaller operation. Sadly, that may mean fewer staff as well. So now's the time to adapt, work out all your inefficiencies and waste and get lean. And my other message to the network would be we'd get closer to your clients, understand what the clients need from you. And I think any responsible work provider would be welcoming in this and talk to your customers, find out how they're changing. So, you know, if you're a body shop, talk to your work providers, find out how they feel their business model may be changing and what you can do to support them. Um, and I guess the last the last thing I'd say to the, to the repairers is don't be afraid to make those changes and don't be afraid to talk to me. If you are making those changes and you're worried, talk to me about them. Coming out of this, we need a really, really strong supply chain. We're all in this together and we all need to work together. There are changes and challenges ahead, but if we work together, we can find a common path to come through this. Let's not be at loggerheads. Let's get rid of this, them and us. Any of my repairers who listen to this, if you've got any concerns, ring me. Let's talk. Let's find out how you're changing your business. Let's share ideas. In a nutshell, quite a long spiel <laughs> there. Um, that's my message to the network right now and, and, and to the, the wider industry, to the repair industry in general. It's a great message and it's a, it's a great message of openness and, and you know transparency and, and just some honest conversation because... Um, you know, you've already touched upon it that nobody 
is out there on their own. Everyone is in this together in one way, shape or form. No business is immune from this. We all face our own uh, individual challenges by sort of sharing those ideas and thoughts. Then, you know, who who knows what's to come out of it ultimately. So, um, so some great thoughts there, Richard. And thank you very much indeed for your time today. It's been uh, really good to catch up with you. Great to uh, learn more about yourself and obviously learn more about the, the innovation group and... Um, what's been happening in recent times. So really appreciate your time, Richard. So we will just go on to our quick fire question round. So if you weren't the head of Innovation Group's Repair Network right now, you would be? On holiday, <laughs> catching, catching up on some sleep. Um, I think I'd like to be one of those people we've all seen sat on the beach in a heat wave. So yeah, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now, that's what I'd like to be. That's fair enough. I can't argue with that one. Best bit of business advice you've ever heard, seen or received? Oh, wow. Way back, probably from my parents and school, get a trade. You'll always be okay with a trade. Oh. Um, so I did. I got an apprenticeship as a panel beater. I'm not sure I actually have that now. Cars have changed so drastically since I last worked in a body shop. I, I think if I turned up a body shop now with, uh, with my toolbox and tried to be a panel beater, they'd, they'd probably kick me out after 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't think I actually have a trade now. You had it, it got you on the, on the first rung of the ladder, didn't it? And look where you are now. But you've just given me a good thought as to... Um, to a little project we could do. Self-driving vehicles for you, yes or no and why? Yes, no and no. Yes, because pre-pandemic, I did an awful lot of driving, probably three days a week out on the road every week. So the thought of an automated car that I could just get into it and tell it where to go and it would get me there would be great. You know, it'd be great to sit in a little bubble or pod or on the back seat, catching up on the emails and the phone calls or a little bit of sleep, maybe. No, because driving actually gets me away from those emails and gives me some breathing space and time to think when I'm actually driving. Yes, because it would probably save my licence and the points that seem to accrue every so often on there. And finally, no again, because if ever it came to that life or death moment where the computer has to weigh up what action it's going to take, I don't trust it to have my best interests at heart, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if it's going to weigh your period saving, um, at my age now, I think, yeah, I, I don't think it'd be in my best interest to have. Are you trying to say? That decision for me. Are you trying so to say that, the algorithms would know you personally? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's uh, that's well un undecided. I think we'll put that one down as, but uh, brilliant stuff. And uh, thank you once again for your time, Richard. It's been great to catch up, and wish you all the very best. And uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Mark. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Pleasure. So there we have it. it. certainly sounds like Richard and the team have been extremely busy there at Innovation Group, um, keeping things together, remaining in contact with everybody, and also obviously their sights now firmly set on the future and how um, the industry is likely to evolve in light of obviously recent events that have taken place. So I hope you enjoyed catch up with Richard as much as I did really really good session and, uh, and what a great guy so thank you very much indeed Richard for your time with this uh, podcast huge thank you as always uh, to our corporate partners and our partners those corporate partners being BASF BMS CAPS Copart Emacs Integral Enterprise Ventacar Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance SMG Response and Sherwin Williams Automotive Finishes as well as our partners the Green Part Specialists in DASA 
and the Innovation Group. This has been the ARC360 podcast. Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you again shortly.